Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense, common knowledge, or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do, but only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we begin, a note from our sponsor. I'm Richard Jacobs, Executive Director of the nonprofit Finding Genius Foundation and host of the Finding Genius Podcast. In late 2016, I was rear-ended at 65 miles an hour by a truck on the highway, which sent me off-road into a ditch. The impact of the collision gave me a concussion and other injuries. At the hospital, a CT scan showed that I had thyroid nodules, which turned out to be cancer. It was then, when I had a biopsy in my neck, that I realized, even if I was a millionaire, I wouldn't want a second or a third biopsy due to the pain and the invasiveness of it. And appointments at that time for thyroid experts were three to six months out. And I was worried about dying now, even if that was irrational. So because of this, I've decided to raise money to conduct a literature review on steroids, on the causes of anxiety and depression a condition that affects well over 50 million people in the United States and hundreds of millions worldwide. Our goal is to create a codex, a guide that reveals all possible treatments for anxiety and depression for people that live with the condition or for loved ones that have it, as my wife and my son do. To find out more about our fundraiser, visit FindingGeniusFoundation.org and click on Current Initiatives. And now to our guest. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. A quick note about the foundation. We've embarked on our study of anxiety and depression. Uh, The goal here is to assemble several thousand peer-reviewed papers, uh, books, lectures, etc., and boil it all down into a resource for people suffering from anxiety and depression. Uh, The hope here is to get as many possible treatments and causes together in one area as possible, so it's a, a beneficial resource. To find out more, go to FindingGeniusFoundation.org. And today I have two guests, uh, Dr. Anthony Chang. Uh, he's the chair and Dr. Ores Boyko, vice chair of the American Board of Artificial Intelligence in Medicine. A-B-A-I-M is the acronym. So uh, thank you both for coming. Appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation, Richard. Thanks for yeah, having me. Maybe Dr. Chang, can you give me a little bit about your background? I'm a practicing pediatric cardiologist and who's had a lifelong interest in numbers and statistics and math, have a data science background, and always interested in using data science and artificial intelligence to help um, clinicians and patients in medicine and healthcare. Okay, very good. Oh, yes. Uh, So uh, for my background, uh, I entered into medicine as a practicing uh, radiologist, And as part of my medical school training, I did additional uh, training similar uh, to how Dr. Chang approached in his career uh, doing additional training. Uh, And I got, uh, during medical school, a PhD degree. And it was in uh, life sciences of uh, chemistry and immunology, but I learned a lot of quantitative techniques. And as I saw computer science people moving into the field of healthcare through the avenue of artificial intelligence, that is an area that I started to get a research interest in approximately uh, eight years ago. Okay. And so how is artificial intelligence starting to show up in healthcare? I'm sure there's probably a lot of examples, but what are some of the most interesting ones to you guys? Standpoint on the research end, artificial intelligence is taking 
techniques that have been developed in computer science and computer vision and trying to apply them to medical imaging. Because again, I come from the imaging side of things. So what's happening is, as Dr. Chang mentioned, we have data scientists, uh, computer scientists, computer, computer vision, who are scientists that want to apply their techniques and tools to images. And so they seek out clinicians to partner with them to help them uh, design what questions need to be answered. Okay. Um, are there any specific applications that you see that, you know, AI or machine learning is really uh, making the, the clinical outcomes better? There's been now many studies looking at using deep learning and artificial intelligence to help interpret medical images uh, at a level that, you know, that we've never had before. So that's very encouraging. And similarly, there's also work done in using artificial intelligence for clinical decision making, although it's not as mature as medical image interpretation, but we are definitely making inroads into using uh, machine and deep learning to improve clinical decision making as well as uh, workflow challenges in health, especially now with the pandemic. Yeah, so as similar to what Anthony was saying, that some tools that have entered into clinical practice that radiology departments are, are tools where in the background, once an image is, is taken, the machine will review it. And if the machine thinks, and it's been trained and thinks that there may be an abnormality, it will highlight it to the reading radiologist on their work list. So that might be a study that the radiologist might want to review sooner than later. So that's one application that people are using machine where the machine is looking at the images, not to make a diagnosis, but to kind of give a fast read, a wet read and say, hey, there may be something abnormal on this scan. Why don't you look at it much earlier on your read list? What kind of things um, can be seen by a computer on a scan that wouldn't be picked up by a person? Is it is it more of the is it that the computer can see more features and see better, or is it just a faster, more automated process, and that's the benefit? From the imaging standpoint, uh, it hasn't been defined, nor has been the approach that the machine can necessarily perform better than the human, but side by side by the human, it can kind of give a look and say, hey, based on my training by humans, I'm wondering if this could be an abnormality. What do you think? So it's more of a an opportunity where the machine is working with you and essentially posing questions to you for you to kind of give an ultimate uh, answer to. Speed is, of course, something that is helpful because in, in theory, for certain things, the machine can review an image uh, much faster, but it's really an adjunct to the medical interpretation that goes on in clinical healthcare rather than usurping that role. Well, that's good. Is there a secondary... AI that's looking at images that uh, are beyond this stage, just, you know, to continually see if the computer was right or if it, you know, over tagged or under tagged, you know, if it had false positives or negatives. Oh, absolutely. Because in medical imaging, we already have assists, assisting tech algorithms that are called computer assisted diagnostic tools, CAD, CADs, that have been approved by the FDA. And these are some of the challenges because the CADs, are not based on the additional insights that machine learning and deep learning techniques can give. And so one of the challenges in radiologic uh, acceptance has been the fact that there are false positives that end up being reviewed by the physician 
that essentially slows down your workflow because you would not have looked at that at all, except that you're kind of obligated to look at it because you're using the machine to kind of prompt you to look at certain areas. But with machine learning and deep learning, we're hoping that those false positives, false negatives might be decreased, thereby it doesn't decrease your efficiency in looking at images. What would be the next stage in uh, machines assisting people in terms of imaging? What, how can it go further or what areas are the, is the machine imaging still weak with the machine learning? Well, Anthony can give his insights on cardiology uh, imaging, cardiac imaging. One of the areas that people are getting very excited on is, is the future merging of the disciplines of pathology and radiology where actually potentially the machine will look at an image, but be able to kind of define the texture in the image and try to give an interpretation what might be going on in this abnormal area in terms of its texture, in terms of it maybe being a cancer, not a cancer. And that's a new area where pathology and radiology are merging together. Uh, One of the terms that people have used in this field is called radiomics. Uh, Anthony certainly has some thoughts and examples uh, for the cardiac imaging side of things. Before we continue, I've been personally funding the Finding Genius podcast for four and a half years now, which has led to 2,700 plus interviews of clinicians, researchers, scientists, CEOs, and other amazing people who are working to advance science and improve our lives and our world. Even though this podcast gets 100,000 plus downloads a month, we need your help to reach hundreds of thousands more worldwide. Please visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click on support us. We have three levels of membership from 10 to $49 a month, including perks such as the ability to see ahead in our interview calendar and ask questions of upcoming guests, transcripts of podcasts you're interested in, the ability to request specific topics or guests, and more. Visit FindingGeniusPodcast.com and click support us today. Now back to the show. Okay. Well, Dr. Chang, go ahead, please. Yeah, I think uh, an exciting area is to form hybrids using artificial intelligence to combine different modalities of imaging like CT and MRI, and also even adding in moving images like an echocardiogram. So I think I used to dream about something called a super scan, which is using all modalities to put together a composite view of the heart. And I think that's getting closer than ever before. Anthony has uh, mentioned in the past that it's quite possible that the standard EKG that we get as part of our physical in a doctor's office may actually have more information than we've certainly harnessed. So I'm always intrigued by Anthony's uh, vision of, of how maybe there's more information in EKG that, than we're harnessing currently. Well, what would that look like if you had a machine that could do um, EKG, CT, MRI, you know, as many different scans as possible of the heart and put all that information together. Like, what do you imagine, Dr. Chang, that you'd be able to know and see? Probably much more early signals of the heart when it's not doing well than ever before. So uh, I I think it's a very exciting time to put it all together. And it's not so much a machine that's going to do this super scan. It's more like taking all the areas of information and putting together. And it's sort of a brain for all of these images that's smarter than the cardiologists that we have right now. What information has gotten, let's say, you know, I just want to get into this a little bit, you know, what are all the ways in which you can scan the heart and what information do you tend to get clinically from the different ways as an example? Well, as I'm saying, the combined images will give us, I think, more 
in a, in a proactive way more information earlier than we're used to uh, imagining, imagining how you know data will be used in cardiology. So we always want something that's earlier uh, in terms of diagnosing the conditions, different heart diseases. Well, again, what's an example of information gotten from, you know, what kind of useful clinical information are you getting right now from doing different scans on people's hearts as an example? Well, let's say heart failure, you know, months and years before you actually have clinical symptoms would be really nice to have. That's sort of the holy grail of cardiology in terms of diagnosing heart failure. We usually diagnose it, but I think oftentimes too late. So it'd be nice to have an earlier diagnosis. So perhaps we can treat earlier and then avoid the uh, manifestation of disease when it's very, very late. So like an example would be, uh, you know, if I do an EKG on someone, I notice uh, the pattern's a bit disrupted. And then I'm looking at, let's say, an echocardiogram. And I notice in the movement of the heart that maybe one of the valves doesn't close fully. And there's a murmur. Maybe I can correlate those two, for instance, and say, okay, it makes sense on the EKG why this is doing this. And it's confirmed by the echo. Those kinds of, you know, corroborations or further information like what do you guess you could see and learn well i don't know about that but as i said just diagnosing heart failure months and years before it actually happens will give us a tremendous head start in terms of thinking about therapy so let's maybe just keep it simple as that okay dr borko what uh, any clinical examples that you're seeing where ai is really making a big improvement or is it still more future type stuff that you know, and do you have any wishes like Dr. Chang has uh, for integrations like this in your area? If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. What we're just getting now is we're just getting into the clinical arena implementation of FDA cleared algorithms. So our experience is just starting. So we've just introduced in one of the clinical practices that I'm in, we've introduced the ability of trying to look at CAT scans of the chest and suppressing the uh, vessels to try to make it much easier to see uh, lung nodules. So that's something where we're trying to see whether that algorithm that's based on both machine learning and deep learning algorithms will assist us in uh, picking up lung nodules that are small, especially in lung screening. So again, we're just starting applying some of these algorithms to see how they might improve uh, patient care. Uh, and also, uh, one of the exciting areas in terms of the future areas of merging is where we can take images, but then bring in other information such as genomics into a algorithm that's been developed to help us give better understanding about response to treatment, prediction of treatment. So part of the power of the AI also will be not only just the assistance in looking at the images, but potentially bringing in other clinical record information that might assist us in broadening our diagnosis and what we can report to the referring physician and to the patient related to their medical condition. So what's, um, in terms of, let's say, cancer treatment, is imaging done quite often after, let's say, a chemotherapy or a radiation round or a resection? And, you know, in the future, what will it look like differently from what it looks like right now, for instance, again, for cancer treatment? Yeah, so for cancer treatment, there are uh, guidelines for treatment that are standard guidelines that are published by, uh, say, the National Cancer Institute has, NCI has uh, guidelines for treatment imaging timelines. But as always, it's really the 
clinical impression of the oncologist or radiation therapist that helps drive the decision on uh, when to do the imaging uh, in terms of its time interval. In terms of where AI is going to assist us, that has been tried, that is being defined for us by certain algorithms in terms of trying to apply which treatment a patient should start on, but it hasn't yet gained a traction yet uh, in terms of using a certain algorithm. So right now, there's not a, an interest or potential in terms of how AI might assist us in understanding the frequency. That may still be dependent on the uh, clinical impressions and diagnosis and clinical evaluation by the oncologist and the radiation therapist. What other areas do you see um, AI making a big impact in medicine? I think there are many areas. One is um, just helping with the administrative burden of most health systems will be a tremendous help right now. Um, too many people are uh, bogged down with a lot of administrative burdens. So that's uh, automation with some intelligence. Uh, another area is looking at drug discovery and drug design including vaccine design that have been able to benefit from artificial intelligence. Um, yet another area is using artificial intelligence in allocating resources at appropriate times and situations so that humans aren't always at a loss when it comes to making accurate predictions of situations. And this is especially exemplified, I think, with the demand of the um, pandemic. Are there any um you know, like dream applications that both of you have contemplated that may be a long time away, but, you know, there's a possibility of doing them with AI? Well, one one thought that Anthony and I have discussed is, and it may not be that far away, is the use of digital twins to construct digital twins to help kind of mirror uh, a clinical condition or a response, say, to treatment. So that's kind of one area. I really think that one of the impediments we have currently is is that we, we need to have data, meaning images and reports of images, to help teach and train the algorithms. So there's a challenge on how to create these digital resources to develop and train algorithms. And then once an algorithm is deployed, we need to understand how are we going to continue teaching the algorithm? How are we going to give imaging information and report information back to an algorithm to keep training it so it can even perform better? So one of the challenges right now is, is in development is access to data for the data scientists to help develop these different algorithms that, that can assist us in patient care and healthcare. Well, very good. ABAIM, what's the goals and function of the organization and where can people find out more about it? Uh, so, so the ABIM is a concept that Anthony and I kind of developed together because in the past in healthcare, you know, Anthony is uh, is a pediatric intensivist cardiologist, and, and I'm a radiologist. In a traditional sense, he and I would be working on AI concepts kind of independently in parallel. But I think we, he and I both recognize that AI is such an important area and can have such an important positive impact on care and also uh, healthcare worker satisfaction that we needed to create an educational venue so that if somebody wanted to learn about AI, where could they learn to understand basic concepts and terminology and vocabulary about AI that's been filtered and vetted by AI experts? So 
Anthony and I created the American Board of Artificial Intelligence and Medicine to create an, an educational uh, environment where people, whether they're a secretary, a respiratory therapist, a nurse, physician, data scientist, could come and learn and meet and begin to develop relationships in the AI community. And, and Anthony has a lot of uh, strengths, and one of his strengths is building ecosystems. So he's really built some great AI ecosystems that he's been able to bring the ABIM in, in, into its uh, interrelationship. Okay. And, and again, where's the best place to find out more about ABIM? Just go to, is it that.org or where should people go? Yeah, I think they can simply go to ABAIM.org and get involved with the monthly meetings and the review courses. We also have weekly uh, office hours that's usually pretty well attended by people from actually all over the world. And it's just learning about um, using AI as a resource for clinical medicine and healthcare. So uh, everyone wants to learn more about this. And um, I think the best way is to get on the website and check out the review courses. It's a monthly review course. We're actually developing an intermediate course for all the graduates of the introductory course. And we also have the Medical Intelligence Society that uh, helps clinicians and data scientists work closer together. And that's misociety.org. So there are a lot of different organizations that people can go to now to get connected and get more knowledgeable in this area. One of the things that I just wanted to share in terms of Anthony's vision about the course is we have a two-day now virtual, hopefully in the future it can be in person, a course where a book that Anthony Anthony just recently released uh, uh, on AI in medicine, uh, intelligence-based medicine, uh, we Anthony's vision was that we do our two-day course, but it's virtual, meaning it's live so that when students take the course, they're not just listening to videos, they're actually listening to faculty discuss concepts, and it's very interactive, and there's a chat area where people that register for the course can enter in questions, uh, and then, of course, afterwards, they can attend office hours to follow up. So I think what's very unique about kind of the vision that Anthony set up for the ABIM is to make it very interactive and virtual so that basically people feel that they have an entree and not be intimidated, but that they have an entree into this AI ecosystem and can start developing relationships through the ABIM uh, so that they can decide how they want to further maybe advance their careers in uh, using AI and applying it in their area of uh, interest. Very good, Drs. Tang and Boyko. Thank you for coming and talking about ABIM, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Richard. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.